0: now. This is Always Be Watching. It's our weekly discussion about what we've been watching. It's right there in the title. My name is Dan Barrett, and I'm joined here by my regular co-host, Chris Yates. Hi, Dan. How are you? Uh, look, I'm doing good. For those unfamiliar with the podcast, and look, for some reason, the previous two episodes may have gotten past you, the entire premise of the podcast is this. I've known Chris for 15 years. Every time that we have a conversation, literally every time. Every single time. We have a narrow set of interests. <laughs> Every time we sit down, we ask the question to one another, what have you been watching? And then we just crap on about TV for the next seven hours. We're going to condense that into a 20 to (laughs) 30-minute podcast, and we're just going to discuss what we've been watching. But look, every so often, it's been 15 years, the relationship gets tired. Yeah. Okay, we need to liven things up. Absolutely. Okay, and so, you know, we can pass remote control around and maybe bring a third person into the relationship. That's a great idea. Yeah, so for tonight, our special guest for tonight, Is that what they call them? Yes. Yeah, it's our unicorn, (laughs) Simon Foster.
1: It is a pleasure to be here, Don. How are you? (laughs) We've been friends for a long time, Don Bassett and I.
0: Uh, I've known Simon for a few years, but not the 15 years here. No. Don't try to intrude on what we have here.
1: But but having said that, when we get together, the question comes up. What have you been watching? It's what we have done and do for a living. So I'm thrilled to be here. Happy to talk to you. Happy to talk to you, Chris. Thanks. It's
0: great to have you. Now... I brought in Simon this week because we have a movie that we're going to discuss, and are you qualified to talk about movies? I'm I'm really not. I'm I'm the kind of person that hates movies. Yeah. Mostly. mostly. No, I
2: don't really hate movies. But um, interestingly, and I hope this doesn't steal the thunder, but I became jaded with movies. I may have even told this story before, around the time that the sort of... Uh, the superhero blockbuster kind of movie thing came out, and um, so 1966 <laughs> without a waste. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, no, I was quite, I was all right with that because he had that that shark repellent stuff. That was a good gag. There was yeah. nice, a lot of good gags. Now, quite like this first Superman movie and the fourth Superman movie.
0: Oh, what the uh, quest for peace? You're a <laughs> you're a monster. <laughs> a hell of a movie, really. Interesting um, thing about the quest for peace. Uh, that's the movie that introduces Lex Luthor's nephew, of whose name I don't recall right no, now. I don't recall Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> it was either Huey, Dewey, or yeah, that yeah. other guy. Yeah. Uh, but John Cryer, who we all know from oh, yes. everyone's favorite sitcom, Two and a Half Men. Uh, John Cryer was the nephew in that. And he's now playing the role of Lex Luthor in the Supergirl TV show. Wow. Just it's a bit of trivia. circle of life, isn't, really it? isn't, it? isn't is. that extraordinary? <laughs> Jerry Luthor? That's not this right. It's Jerry Luthor. <laughs> Richard Pryor is also in Superman Four. It's Superman three. Oh, well that's <laughs> the one I like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not the Quest for Peace at all. Sorry, i have already ruined it. Quest for Peace has Dolph Lundgren as the Nuclear oh, Man. Well, that's equally as equally as impressive. You're
1: gonna get call, you're gonna get calls about that. I don't think it is Dolph Lundgren. It's some other tall Nordic type, but I don't think it's Dolph Lundgren in Superman Four.
0: Hmm. Okay. Uh, we'll send your emails. feedback. So <laughs> dan Dana, <always> <laughs> I'm willing to take it on
2: So despite us having a legitimate um, film reviewer in the room I'm comfortable enough (laughs) with myself to say Movies just suck really
1: Well it brings us around full circle All this superhero talk we're talking of We're at um, a point in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe The MCU where we've got to their first female lead
0: Wait, 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 Simon Oh yeah, we've read Hold tight We've got an entire premise in this podcast (laughs) you just upset entirely Alright, okay Hey, Simon I Foster. You really should have
1: come to the meeting. <laughs> what, you, what
0: have you been watching?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have been watching Captain Marvel. I've watched it twice in the last six days. I was twice. fortunate enough to go to the premiere here in Sydney.
0: Is and, that because you really liked it or is this... Well, I did
1: really like it, fortunately. And when I was very kindly invited to come onto this thing, whatever you call it, it's um, it, was, <laughs> it was an opportunity to catch it again. And I've got to say it held up second time around for me. Um, it's all set in the 90s. Uh, eventually, when um, Carol Danvers, played by Brie Larson, lands through the roof of a blockbuster in downtown LA in 1995, her origin story starts to unfold. It's a really interesting tale because if it's not quite the pulsating, really energetic superhero movie that maybe we've come to expect from the the, the Marvel. Films, um, it's a really sturdy bit of storytelling, and it's kind of a throwback to the the the, um, films of the '90s. You know, it's a long boat to pull to say it's similar to Alec Baldwin in in The Shadow or Billy Zane in The Phantom, but um, it has that that sort of craftsmanship and sturdiness about it that I really liked.
0: Yeah, it kind of felt more the mechanics of the storytelling for me. It felt more like a 1980s like adventure film, sure. Yeah, Yeah. but it had very much a '90s aesthetic to it even to the point of having a soundtrack that kind of makes no sense to a lot of the film. Mm. However, it's still, you know, it's there, it was pumping. And I did feel like my entire youth was being just, you know, cheaply just used and abused by Hollywood.
1: Am I getting sensing that you weren't a big fan of the film?
0: <laughs> oh, no, I actually quite liked it. Uh, my thing with Marvel films is that the majority are terrible. Yes. Okay, however, there's like a couple of good ones throughout. And because I kind of love superhero stuff, sure. I always go and watch them. Okay, but like I prefer the superhero things that are a little bit more grounded. So if I think about my favourite Marvel films, it's the Captain America movies, except for Civil War, which I don't really care for that much. <laughs> uh, but the first two Captain America were pretty Captain good. Love the first Captain America, sure. One yeah. of my favourites. I, I really liked Ant Man.
1: I thought that. Well, what worries me about the the Marvel universe and the, and the films within it is that. They bring in these guest directors like they did with Taika Waititi for for Thor Ragnarok and, mm. um, and, and to a certain extent like they did with Ryan Coogler for, for Black Panther, which give the smaller moments in the film a bit of an edge, a bit of something different. But they're still very much held to this template. Mm.
0: Well, this is the problem with them. So when they produce the films, they'll bring in your Taika Waititis and so they'll craft the movie that they're interested in but the action sequences they just hand off to the same second unit directors mm. and so they're all produced in the exact same way this is where and i so get there's bored so look and a feel yeah, that just yep. yeah Quick quick sort of
1: admission, I started 2019 by saying I'd had enough of Marvel. I did, in Some of the review work I do and the fact that I have my own website, I can sort of choose what I want to write. Um, I decided that I didn't want to watch these. I certainly didn't want to review them anymore. They're kind of the same thing. They're like, you know, do you review a Big Mac when they put another slice of beetroot on it or something? It's, yeah. it's basically how I was starting to feel about them, but with... Brie Larson, who I like as an actress, taking on the first female character in the female lead character in the in the Marvel universe. Um, I was fascinating to see in the current political climate how they handled that. They handled it very well. It's not a heavy handed approach to. Um, the Me Too movement or, or any of the developments in, in you know, society over the last 12 to 18 months so um, the fact that it, it, it doesn't bludgeon you with that but tells it in a very smart, um, at times quite clever sometimes very satirical way, I thought those smaller moments um, counted for something in this film where they didn't really count for me in Thor Ragnarok or, or for to Black Panther to a certain extent I thought they were just of another coat of paint on the, the Marvel template, with this one I thought it was actually worth something
0: yeah. So when I saw the film, there were two aspects that I didn't really care about so much with the film. First of all, I thought the first like half hour of the film where it was all very space based and there was a lot of like introduction of like a world that we didn't really have an exposure to until that point. Sure. So I don't really feel they executed like trying to generate an interest from me. Like, why do I really care about this world? You're supposed to kind of care about her relationship with the Jude Law character, but even then, it just kind of felt like it was just so surface. I agree I with that.
1: Much. I thought the first 30 yep. minutes was a tough slog.
0: As soon as she, hit, she hits Earth, totally cool with her. Yep. Okay, however, while you said it wasn't really heavy handed, I did feel there was certainly a pressure being put on the film to try to emphasize that sort of strong sense of, to use the 1990s phrase, girl power, sure. sort of labeled on top. Yep. And the fact there were no Spice Girls in that soundtrack, what is wrong with that, this movie? That must just be a pure licensing issue. They are we? still
1: us top dollar. One yeah, of the I'd things- imagine.
0: But essentially there's all these scenes throughout the film where they've got like this young girl who gets introduced into it. And so there's like this obvious sort of thing of saying, you know, you've got the power to, you know, yeah, do what sure. we can do and that sort of thing. They were never like bludgeoning the audience with it over. The like throughout the course of the film, but it still kind of felt like it was present and it was a bit too self-conscious, I thought. Do you it- have to
2: take into account that they've got to deal with this sort of toxic fan base of Marvel dudes who get online and, you know, just tear holes in anything that's remotely feminine, basically, in this world. Was that something, do you think, they were aware of or considerate of when they're... You know, you you say it's a bit heavy-handed, but is that maybe as a response to that before it happens? It feels, if anything, that's trying to egg it on. Right. Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, for me, I don't think they were... I don't think they thought of the, the the core fan base when they were creating this character other than to provide the big spectacular action sequence at the end and certain beats along the way that you expect from the the, the Marvel films I think for me they were very conscious of creating a, a, a real character that's probably why they got these two writers and directors a husband and wife team, I think, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who up until now had done Half Nelson, the Ryan Gosling film. They'd written and directed um, uh, Mississippi Grind with Ben Mendelsohn, who we should point out is terrific in the film, um, in mm. this film. Um, so they've, they come from a very character-driven, very low-key background. Um, and I think that gives her, they provided for her a real sort of weightiness in her portrayal. There's been some critics that have said Brie Larson is a little bit stoic, a little bit stodgy in that central character. Um, she's basically a soldier sort of dealing with a certain degree of or a certain kind of PTSD, and that is uh, sort of drags her character down a bit when the memory flashes and when the, the um, her past comes flowing back into her life um, and creates the Captain Marvel character, I think um, all of that is unleashed. Um, All the work she does with the the green screen guys and the stunt units uh, is terrific in this.
0: Yeah. There's some aspects of it that I just think are hugely entertaining. Now, I went and saw it with my partner who does not care about superhero stuff at all. Less than she, me, even. Yeah. Less than you. She could not care a rat's, you know, about it. However, she came along to this one and she didn't even know Captain Marvel existed as a character. I don't think she'd even heard of the film until I'd mentioned it like a day or two beforehand. <laughs> like, she could not be more checked out from this. But she came along and she really enjoyed it, I think more than I did. Uh, But what she really connected to, I think, was a lot of the more comedic moments, sort of as the film was going on. As soon as they leave that opening half hour, it becomes a fairly rollicking comedy where she knows nothing about the Marvel Universe, but was still able to connect to it. I think it's broad enough to Mm. allow for that. Samuel L. Jackson, I think, is fantastic. Sure. Anytime they do the face smoothing to make someone look 30 to 50 years younger, like, I'm there for it. It I love that. It's great,
2: isn't it? I love it, too. And
0: I don't know, Simon, you're probably the one to talk on this. Uh, Have you seen anything this extensive before with a character with this much screen time? Like not that off smooth? the
1: top of my head, no. The, by all accounts, they used a film called The Negotiator, which he made back in 1995 as the base for him. I think, oh, wow. So, was so, that him and
0: Kevin Spacey?
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah. His name, who we'll not mention. No, he Anymore. Nice one, Dan, <laughs> <No, laughs> <sorry>, Dan.
0: Awkward. <laughs>
1: um, so, I, no, I don't. I can't recall having seen that sort of de-aging process used to this extent yeah clearly it's been done in rogue one and and you know with a whole lot of cgi characters but not to that extent rogue one
0: was kind of the creation of bringing like a you know deceased actor back to life yeah but that was like for about a minute and a half sure and we've seen like the sort of face smoothing stuff before so i mean even in marvel films michael douglas i was gonna say in ant-man yeah it's amazing
2: it looks great in ant-man i think it's fantastic
0: yeah the technology is getting really good yep no, terrifyingly,
1: was, yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Well, that well, it's, it opens up a whole new Hollywood. Who are we going to see on the screen now? Are we going to see Jimmy Cagney back in a in a film in twenty twenty? Are we going to see you know Paul Newman arise from the grave and, and star again? It's um, Cool
2: Hand Luke too. <laughs> this time he's cooler.
0: <laughs> <laughs> cooler hand Luke. Cooler hand Luke. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That seems better. Uh, the cat is obviously a highlight for the film. Sure. Can't say too much about the cat. There's no, a cat. it's a cat, and yeah. it
1: does get a few big laughs. as As I previously said, as does Ben Mendelsohn, who is unrecognisable underneath all the the makeup. As is he a villain or isn't he a villain? And you know Jude Law's in there when you know when is he never not evil? Spoiler alert, but it's not really a spoiler.
0: alert. And that was one of the weird things where I mean, because we know Ben Mendelsohn, particularly in Australia, our Ben Mendelsohn.
2: We have to say sorry because <laughs> yeah. he's Australian.
0: So I think we call him Mendo. Mendo, Mendo. Yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. because we know Mendo. Essentially, we saw the performance and went, oh, well, it's Mendo under there. But I also wonder about the need for actually casting a big-name, talented actor in a role like that and not someone who professionally works in costumes. Hmm. So I think, for example, about the gentleman whose names escape me entirely right now, uh, but he was in The Shape of Water playing the Merman character. Oh, Doug Jones. Doug Jones. And you can find him in like the Hellboy movies, uh, Star Trek Discovery. He's a regular on that series at the moment he professionally works in these costumes and knows how to give, like, the optimum performance in one of these costumes. And there's a bunch of actors like that. And I'm wondering if this is the 2019 equivalent of all those animated films from the last 15 years where they cast big-name celebrities rather than actual, like, voice actors. And so is there, like, a whole breed of actor who's now missing out? Because with CG, you can kind of get away with some of the shortcuts around costume work. Potentially
1: so. Um, Mendo comes out from underneath that makeup he brings a real as does doug jones in his in his best work and i'd say pan's labyrinth is probably his best work but yeah mendo is absolutely um every inch the the believable livable character despite this this makeup so yeah you make a valid point so
0: you're not a big superhero guy no not a comic guy
1: um started as with chris i started to waver a bit in my interest of, of of the superhero films i'm a it's no secret I'm a 52 year old man so what you look fantastic films, for thank 52. you yes yes I do
0: look <laughs> he really fantastic. does he hears this a lot though oh, I bet. gotta get yeah. a camera in here somehow <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah I've, I've, my interest in superhero films started to wane especially when they take themselves so seriously and the, a lot of the, the, the pre-buzz and a lot of the hype is that it's you know Shakespearean in intent and, and I'm thinking that it no, it's not it's guys in spandex and it's comic book stuff and, and that's fine and I don't want to get the comic book fans angry too, too late yeah I know it's already happened <laughs> Um, And I know that they do have weighty themes to them, but they very rarely come across in the way these films have made, which is probably why, of them all, I enjoy the first Captain America movie very much. Um, Look, I'm going to get some real calls, but I actually prefer a lot of the DC movies, DC comic movies.
0: I'm kind of the same. Yeah.
1: I like the darker elements to them. I like the um, fact that they visit some... You know, and I think I quite like Zack Snyder as a director too. Boy, we are going to call. Yeah, get that's, calls. man, this is
0: something I, I find them a bit more thematically
1: rich. Yeah, that's well said.
2: Well, I really enjoy like the ones you like what you were mentioning before. Um, Ingest like Billy Zane in the Phantom, and what was the other one? Alec, Alec Baldwin. Baldwin in the Shadow. The, those, I mean, there was just such a brevity, and like they were entertaining films for me when I was a young person, and I really, um, you know, I feel like without having this whole end of the world, you know, all the the, the stakes are so high in these in these modern superhero films as well where it's just kind of like you you just kind of get i don't I don't know I get very Oh yes, the world's going to end again. But where it's when it's reduced to something a lot smaller, maybe saving a person or saving a community or something like that, I feel like I can kind of go along with the ride a bit better.
1: That's a great point, and that's uh, you mentioned previously, Ant Man, which is one of the reason I really love the Ant Man films. It wasn't so. I mean, yes, there was the big sort of MacGuffin in there; they had to save the world, or what I can't even remember what it was now. But there was also a a, a much more interesting time travel, spinning through space, sort of element that was really fascinating and
2: some laughs, you know, and some some
0: comedy, which I think goes a long way. But also structurally, it was just a Heist movie, yeah, which because it leans into a different genre, I think actually yeah, helps as a well. benefit. Mm. Now, one of the things that has frustrated me a little bit over the last uh, like half a year is since the pa- passing of Stan Lee. You've got all this conversation about, oh, you know, how important he was to, like, all these Marvel characters we're seeing on film. But it happens at the detriment of a lot of other comic book creators of whom actually worked on the characters as Mm. opposed to Stan Lee who put his name on the characters. Mm. And so this film opens with, when they do, like, the Marvel, like, eye dance at the beginning, you see a whole lot of Stan Lee and all of his various performances through the Marvel films. Kind of a nice moment. And I don't want to be bashing Stan Lee, but in a lot of ways, (laughs) he was really detrimental to the industry. (laughs) But... The character, uh, the creator that I think is probably notable to talk about here isn't Stan Lee, but really there's a comic book writer named Kelly Sue DeConnick. Of whom is the one that wrote the books that this film is largely based off. So she didn't create the Captain Marvel character or Carol Danvers. Uh, It was Gene Colon and I can't remember who the other creator was. Uh, But really, she was the one that came to the character in like the last, you know, five to 10 years, wrote a whole bunch of Captain Marvel books, started as Ms. Marvel and became Captain Marvel. Mm. And so she's actually got a cameo midway through the film. So when I think it's Samuel L. Jackson's running through a train station, I'm sure I saw her pass him. Okay. Like through that scene. And I've met her before. She's a lovely lady, uh, and it was really cool to actually see her get like a certain amount of credit for this. But like, mostly people aren't talking about this in a way that I think she deserves. He became Stan Lee, so I'm going to ignore the woman you just raised. <laughs> yeah, and talk about Stan His Lee. Kelly's iconic. Yeah, Kelly yeah.
1: yeah um, he be- he has become this iconic figure in himself, Stan Lee. And regardless of the amount of work or the amount of um, legacy that that he has. In the Marvel Universe, which is substantial, of course, but what he means to the movies and what that cameo and what the, as you say, the opening title sequence means to the fans, far, far exceeds um, uh, his his ongoing contribution to to Marvel as a As an ongoing entity. What
0: I think is important about his cameos is he provides a through line and actually creates a sense that these characters don't just exist as corporate properties, Mm. but really, because the thing I really like about comic books is that somebody will write the comic, somebody will draw the comic, someone edits it, and there's a limited number of people who actually get involved in the production of this, you know, 20 to 30 page uh, thing that comes out once a month. Sure. So it's actually a very personal thing for the writers. Like, it really is like a true auteurist. A product that's being put out on a regular basis mm. and because these things are pumped out like sometimes within about like say two or three months of being published okay like it's just this really sort of topical current thing where you're very much in the mindset of the people creating this thing mm. and so seeing stan lee on screen is kind of a reminder that these big corporate properties of films that take two to three years to put together it actually did start with a creator and i don't know if stan lee's the best ambassador for that mm. but at least there's something All and i do plans. like that totally agree yeah, that's really
2: interesting. Stanley's also in all the Marvel Lego video games. You've got to like, you've got to rescue a, a Stanley in every level.
0: Now, interestingly, he was also, and this is how I came to Stanley initially. <laughs> this is where Dad gets me yeah, in the for, in, so for the Lego gear. for the Lego gear. I'm sure you guys would remember the Spider-Man cartoons from oh, uh, our respective views. Sure, the one that came out in like the very late '70s, early '80s has Stan Lee doing intros to all the cartoons. Uh, yes, Is it really. Yeah, so I remember that. Like he's not visually on screen, like Bill Cosby and the Fat Albert stuff. Yeah. I'm really ticking all the boxes out this week, Yeah. Aren't yeah. I? yeah. Uh, but really, it's just like a voiceover, and it's like, "Hey, kids, Stan Lee here," and you know. Goes into right. he no, was, but star. what's weird about it is that when that show was released on DVD for years to come okay Stan Lee's stuff gets cut out of it why would, they why have would have done that, that happen
2: beats me it's okay. very odd somebody that likes Stan Lee even less than you Dan obviously <laughs> was responsible for that uh, <laughs> uh, for that decision there. I know
0: there's people that hate it a lot more than I do I'll <laughs> bet
2: yeah. yeah
1: what I liked a lot about Captain Marvel was that it it didn't borrow heavily visually from the comics from what I understand um probably what i loved most about the recent spider-man movie into the spider-verse mm. was that it took all the different styles and all the different sort of comic variations and cartoon variations of the spider-man character and and doubled down on those i thought i that was more than
0: argument. double down it was oh. like quadrupled down yeah, it was an extraordinary <laughs> film
1: and i came yeah. late to it i didn't get to see it but i'd heard everyone rave about it and then it started winning all these awards so i thought okay i'll put my my comic book movie sort of Anti stance at the moment behind me and go and see it. I'm glad I did. It's a fantastic film.
0: I think that film may have been my favourite film of last year. A
1: lot of people said that, it which caught good. me by surprise. And then when yeah. I saw it, I said, No, I'm not that surprised anymore.
0: Because I saw the trailer and I was like, This looks kind of cool. And then I went and saw it, and it's like oh, this is actually legitimately a good movie. And kind of clever. I mean,
1: so cleverly written the way it's, the the sort of universes fold in on themselves. If you haven't seen that, I don't even know if it's out on digital or DVD. I'd be coming out roughly about nowish. Yeah,
0: so oh, yeah, I've um,
2: been yeah. waiting for it. I haven't seen it yet. I want to
0: watch it with yeah. my kid. Yeah, Another both kill. of you love Yeah, yeah, probably you more than. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably okay so guys that's probably enough Captain Marvel talk so
1: much Captain Marvel talk
0: (laughs) there's a lot to get through I mean Clark Gregg's back in the oh it's too much anyway Chris Yates please what have you been watching
2: Well, Dan, I'm glad you asked. I have been watching... Now, this is interesting. I'm going to set this up a little bit because uh, I ran into a colleague on Monday morning, 9 a.m., start of the working week. The first thing she said to me was, what have you been watching? And I said, "Ah, this is interesting. And then I I, I talked about something. And then I said to her, what have you been watching? And she suggested this program. This program that I'm going to talk about is the high-concept sci-fi series, Counterpart. Have you seen this, Dan? Do you know what this is?
0: Look, I'm very familiar with Counterpart. I would actually say this is probably in like my top five things the last year.
2: Oh my God, it's fantastic. So I, you know, I don't read the things. I don't know what's coming out. I don't know what's going on. I realize this probably started on SBS when you were working there. So you might've been a little bit across it in that capacity.
0: I don't know. Look, I, I was very across it. So even to the point where I was involved in another podcast at SBS, where it's like an arts entertainment show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simon, I believe you may know one of the co-hosts on it.
1: I'm familiar with her. I like her work.
0: Yeah, she's okay. She's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, on that, we actually talked about Counterpart. Did like an episode by episode breakdown. Oh for my god! All right, well, my weeks. my very yeah. shallow.
2: So I've watched the first episode. I just wanted to get a sense of it. Well, this is disappointing. Why did you come over, Howard? Oh, Howard, does he really not know what's going on? What level are you? <laughs> He's an interface man. Enough. He's wasting our time. Believe me, I'm not. But I have to be back in about twelve minutes, so us discuss terms first no one outside this room knows about this arrangement
0: why would we listen to a word you have to say because if you don't people start
2: dying i've only this far watched the first episode but i got a really good sense of it
0: now what did you like about it
2: well i mean well the first thing was it was one of those shows that the concept is so high and so interesting
0: okay explain it
2: so okay i'll do my best um so basically in the cold war scientists in berlin or in east berlin um create an exact copy of our world that is enterable through a portal and in this portal and in this world is an exact copy of everything and everyone and they allow some people to sometimes travel backwards and forwards through this portal how's that
1: I mean, I'm hooked. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> you haven't seen it yet. No, just, I, oh, I, I, I've seen
0: bits and pieces of it. Yeah, yes, sure. Okay. okay, so they don't really discover, like they don't really create a new world, but really they just discover they that discover world okay, that sure. split. So you don't actually find out exactly when it is that the world's been split, but it wasn't so much during the Cold War. It's I think in the early 90s, right. Sorry, my mind stretching back a year on this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in the early 90s, there seems to have been some sort of a split. Okay, so you don't really quite know exactly what's happened. But the only people that are really aware of it are these two spy agencies, which is kind of the sp- same spy agency. Yes, it's just on different versions of the same world, and because you've had this variation of the world splitting, it means that all the people who have been alive since the point of the split, they are now running in different lives, making different choices.
2: That's right. So yes, there's a wow. It it it, it creates a divergence there. That's right. And so yeah. um, stars the amazing J K Simmons, which was another you know, massive incentive to watch it. So he's probably, I mean, I, my, you know, I really became aware of him watching Oz, yeah, the old HBO Schillinger. television show. Schillinger, I couldn't remember his name. Yeah. But I was yeah. going to say, he's probably my second favorite villain, maybe only to Swearingen from Deadwood, but is <laughs> Swearingen really a villain? I don't know. He's, he's kind of the hero as well. Um, and also J.K. Simmons, a lot of people don't know, the voice of the yellow and M.
0: Are you aware of this, Dan? No way. I I did know
1: this. (laughs) I knew I came here for a reason.
0: (laughs) All good stuff. (laughs) There's not been a waste of an evening at all. Not at all.
1: Um, And, of course, so
2: he meets his uh, other... In the first episode, I'm not giving too much away here, um, as I've only seen the first episode, um, which is very a very rare occurrence inside the spy world. It's it, it's sort of revealed that his spy that his version of himself in our world is a little bit of a an underachiever, maybe. Whereas after the divergence, his his um, character in the other has become a bit a, much more of a go getter and gone a long way up in the agency, and is you know which is half which is which explains why he's coming to yeah. So our tra- world
0: translation. One's a kick-ass spy. The other one's like a meek administrator.
2: Like an administrator. Yeah, exactly. Um, so watching him play off against himself is incredible. Like mm. you see this all the time. I was watching an episode of um, 30 Rock the other night with Alec Baldwin <laughs> playing off against the uh, Mexican version of himself. <laughs> his, his sitcom he, uh, His soap opera he buys so that he can win over Selma Hayek's mum. And it was just so bad. Like he's looking off the side. And I realized that they were probably doing a lot of it on purpose. But um, it's just so believable with with Simmons playing against himself, and also having these two different you know contrasts because he does play a wide as as good as he is at being a badass neo-Nazi leader in a jail shiving people in Oz in Oz, yeah. <laughs> not in this show. I, I thought he meant the Eminem ads. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And then the, the the charming Eminem. No, look, he's obviously got a lot of range despite his kind of craggy, you know, very um very uh, distinctive appearance so yeah anyway i just can't can't wait to watch more of this show i've only seen the first episode it's on sbs on demand still and not for very much longer i think it's sort of in attendance its it's the last sort of 20 days or something yeah like that sounds so, about right so i'm gonna try and crank through it in that time but so, yeah so
0: that's season one seasons who just dropped on there about three weeks ago oh
2: cool that might be why i'm a bit more aware yeah. of it and apparently they're shopping around for a
0: season three yeah, but. so the show actually got cancelled mm. about a month ago, which is which terrible. It's really frustrating because it was a amazingly
1: good show. <laughs> Who was backing it? Was it a HBO one? Or no, or was it was Stars. Oh, okay, yep. So
0: effectively, what's happened is Stars is owned by Lionsgate. Because you've got the rise of Netflix and Amazon and everyone, yep. essentially there's a bit of an arms race at the moment to build up catalogs and do it as economically as possible with all of your various financial interests in play. Mm-hmm. So traditionally TV gets made by, there'll be the network and they'll hire a third-party company to go and do it. But now they're actually doing everything internally with like their corporate partners. So Lionsgate, who owns stars, are now also the studio that will be making all of stars' programs. This means that things like Counterpart, which isn't made by Lionsgate, is suddenly less viable as a series going forward. That's interesting. You're listening to the Hollywood Reporter (laughs) finance section here. (laughs) The thing that would have kept it on air is if he'd been nominated for Emmy Awards. Right, yes. Which didn't happen. And I don't understand that. 'Cause he gave the two best performances. Exactly.
2: He's doing two for the price
0: of one. Yeah. Here. Come on. And it's not that he's playing a good performance against himself, but really like each individual performance he's giving are like amazingly good performances.
2: Very different and also but also rooted in the same kind of original motivation. It's like the levels of it are amazing. Really.
1: I remember it was a very it was a great looking film. It had like that David Fincher House of Cards stuff a look to it. Was there any yeah. big names behind it?
0: But visually I'm not really too sure that there's anyone sort of specific that you can sort of point to. But I think if you're going to look at a way the show's structured, we talk about it being this big sci-fi conceit. It's really a spy drama.
2: Totally, yes. Yeah. That's the premise that sort of yeah. gets it all happening. But then it plays very, yeah, it plays like almost a straight sort of spy drama. Yeah, so
0: it's a little bit like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And I think they took the visual style of the most recent film version of that and mm-hmm. applied it to this TV show. Fantastic stuff anyway. Highly yeah.
2: recommended for me.
0: Yeah, really good show. I'm I can't believe I haven't watched season 2 yet. Mm. I've got a theory with the second season and I'm going to mildly spoil something for you, but it's not going to really you that much. No one's listening. <laughs> <laughs> not even me. <laughs> You've got these two spy agencies of whom are like at war with each other. Mm. Stuff goes on, you know. That that's the spoiler stuff. Within the like thing though, they occasionally communicate with one another. And in order to do that, they've got these interesting bits of technology that they use, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you're in an office and there's like a polycom system, there's yes. like the phones that you, wow. yeah, yeah they're kind of like these like weird sci-fi versions of one of those. But the thing is that both these worlds that are existing in the show have different levels of technology. So you see in one episode oh. one of the spy pulls out a mobile phone while they're in a meeting with the others and he's told to like put it away because you don't want to show off like this advanced technology. But in both of these worlds they've both got the exact same polycom system. So my theory going into the second season isn't that there's just two worlds. I reckon there's a third oh world who's controlling dude. them but anyway
2: yeah I noticed that there was some um, there's like that's a theory I don't really know but But there's yeah there's old technology I noticed there's like old green screen kind of computers and that sort of stuff it's
0: very 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 cool yeah and there's a reason for that but you'll find out through the first season cool I'm gonna
2: uh, pass it to the left now and go Simon what else have you been watching
0: well I know you have
1: covered at length in previous episodes the Finding Neverland or Leaving Neverland I should say um, TV series so I was working through that over the weekend some
0: stuff was found in that documentary series though you know yeah yeah.
1: We're going to go into it again? Or no, that's no, not good. No, 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 okay. So, we needed a bit of a break from that. We needed something um, to lighten up the mood. I decided to rip out an old uh, Blu ray called Hollow Man from director Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> what are you all smirking at? Um, it's okay. It's okay. Not at all. Mm. And his breathing's hypnotic.
2: Yeah. How long has it been? 17 hours. Yeah, we already have enough data for two lifetimes of research. It's a brave new world, Lynn.
1: I keep looking at that hole, I'm wondering if he's really there. Did you see that, Sebastian? Can you hear me? Ah! Christ! The lights! Turn off the goddamn lights! the invisible man film with kevin bacon the beautiful elizabeth shoe um all set in a or largely set in an underground um uh, laboratory where they've been trying to make monkeys disappear for years and there's all invisible dogs everywhere and things go terribly and in a very verhoeven-esque way very bloody fashion things go very wrong um I hadn't seen this since the movie. We've just got a new television one of those HD TVs, and uh, I wanted to see what some Blu-ray looks like. And she was just back from Canada, so she was She going... being
0: the wife and not Elizabeth Shue. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, oh, no, Elizabeth Shue. Yeah. No,
1: she'd gone home before the wife got there. So... Um... <laughs> We put this uh, this Blu-ray on and it's a dumb film, but it is so much fun. Oh it my really god, is, like
2: yeah. one of the main reasons I laughed is because my love for Paul Verhoeven <laughs> and his movies knows no bounds, basically. Yeah. Like it's
1: never really spoken of when people do their Verhoeven retrospectives that you know that there's the starship troopers and the Robocops and there's all the big high stuff. It's got a lot to compete fiction. with, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this one doesn't have a whole lot to say in the way in the satirical way that those films did. Um but but Hollow Man for just some out and out gory effects. Um, and Kevin Bacon just going absolutely batshit crazy. Can we swear on the podcast? Oh or- yeah, sure. All right. Um, he's nuts in this film, and I've got to say it was just as much fun as I remembered it.
2: Now, I probably haven't seen it in 20 years. I don't know how old it is, but uh, it would be around there, surely. And the only thing I remember is he just kind of uses it like the first thing he does as soon as it becomes invisible is become a sex pest.
1: Yeah, that's a big chunk of the film. <laughs> um, it is a Verhoeven film. Yeah, exactly. Which is
2: true. a common theme. Like, let's face it, it's in just about all of them. It's pretty. Um, it's it's pretty crucial to his storytelling. He style has a for very European right. aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly
1: yeah. right. And uh, he does the. They set up very early on that the drug that they inject into initially the animals, uh. Um, uh, constant and overuse creates aggression and 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 uh, um unstableness, instability I should say in the in the minds of the user um, that is the tipping point for Kevin Bacon's character um, who decides to do a bit of a brundle fly he does a bit of a he decides to test on himself in a moment yeah. of madness mm. um, and it works you get to see Kevin's sort of fleshy bits <laughs> down there <laughs> I don't I remember. remember that yeah the Kevin's bacon yeah you exactly you yeah, get to say Kevin's that <laughs> oh God. And, and I Can just imagine the guys who got the special effects contract for Hollow Man saying, sort of pointing at some poor intern saying, "You're going to do that bit."
0: (laughs) I've got two important questions here, and I'll put them in in order of importance. Okay, so the most important question: Why did Brundle not realise or think about the fact there might be an insect that lands in one of his? Like portals. I just don't well, understand. It's not
1: something you think of. You wouldn't be counting on that happening. It's not something you can ch- check for. But do you think you should have had one of those wax strips or something hanging outside of the
0: Look, I get like occasional telepod. bugs inside the house, and I'm always concerned about like the bugs around.
1: It's a bit unsanitary
0: for a science...
1: Yeah, it is a bit unsanitary yeah. for yeah.
0: science... Anyway, that was the most important question. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but maybe getting a bit more Hollow Man-focused. Yeah. The one memory I really have from that, and the thing I was thought was just a little bit sort of uh, very... A, ridiculous, and B, Verhoeveny. Uh, it's just the idea of you've got an invisible man story where, you know, you can go in and. Like, the idea of the invisible man is for him to go out into the world and, you know, do things of which sure. he can't ordinarily do. You're going behind, you know, sort of secret areas that you can't visit. Mm-hmm. He spends almost the entire film in an underground facility. <laughs>
1: That's very true. He like, does. Does that, still,
0: does that seem as ridiculous now as it did back then? There are two
1: major sequences where he lets himself out of the the um, lab Um, in one sequence as you pointed out he sexually assaults a woman in the other one he murders William Devane so yeah it's probably best that they keep him in the lab and well locked up (laughs) because he's not entirely stable out in the world Um, but having said that Things go totally off the rails in the last forty minutes of this film. Um, at one point, a woman, to save herself, grabs huge um, bags of surgical blood and throws them on the floor. And then you realise this is very much of a Hooven film, um, so that she can see the footprints of oh. the Invisible Man as, as, as he walks towards her. But um, it didn't help; she got killed. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a nice R- try. One R- 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 of the P- things that what the, one of the things I remember about it was the. Um,
2: what at the time seemed like incredible special effects, where there's a gorilla or some kind of um, some kind of monkey, yeah. um, and and it, and it, the, <laughs> Which is the science show <laughs> with Chris, <laughs> and all the layers of the skin and everything. So you get the skin, and then you get the muscle and the bone. Yeah. How did that stand up twenty years later?
1: It actually stands up pretty well. Um, the the downside of the really crisp sort of HD television is that you can see oh, when yeah. the the some of the special effects kick in but the detail that you do notice this time and the 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 um, incredible work that's gone into creating the sinews and the veins and the muscles is is beautiful and really spectacular and and they give over quite a bit of the first third of the film first two things going bad for the uh, monkey slash ape you referred to, um, and then when uh, Kevin Bacon decides to undertake the the disappearing act, it's um, it's pretty spectacular.
0: Mm. Now you enjoyed watching this film, obviously. Oh yeah. Uh, the wife of whom you know you subjected to watch this film again. Uh, what was her thoughts on it?
1: I blame the jet lag a lot for the mood. <laughs> oh, yeah, here we go. Um, but I could certainly feel the eyes burning into the side of my head on various occasions.
0: Because knowing her, it doesn't really strike me that she'd be interested in any film with William Devane in s- <laughs> not.
1: She doesn't have a hard opinion either way on William Devane. But she's... <laughs> I, I sold it to her as, we've got to see how our new TV works. Let's watch a Blu-ray. And I knew she was very tired from the, the long and very hard work she'd done over in Canada, so I
0: thought... S- so you went through your library and went to D for Devane? <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I did, yeah. yes. And, I was uh, going to
1: ask how extensive your Blu-ray collection is if the first thing you go for is Hollow Man. <laughs> but that's,
0: that's just awesome.
1: <laughs> it says less about my collection and more about me as a movie yeah, watcher. Sure, sure. Really, yeah. no. Excellent um, stuff. So you watched that on Blu-ray? I did watch that on Blu-ray. It's called Hollow Man from Paul Verhoeven, year 2000, I think it was.
0: Yeah, which would be one of the first DVDs coming out then. Oh, I wow. I've kind of a recollection of that uh, being one of the yes. things regularly seen when you go to the computer store before there was DVDs like in Video Easy. I think you might be stuff. right. Yeah, I think you yeah. might be right. Mm. Dan, Dude, is it for me to I do I think you can do it for Dan, Dan. Yeah, that'd be great.
1: What have you been watching lately? Is that what you say? <laughs> is
0: that close <laughs> enough? Close enough. Right. Never thought you'd ask. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching a little show called Fleabag. Oh, you look fantastic. Oh, you both look
1: gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Is that fur? Yes, but it's okay because it had a stroke. Oh, Oh, (laughs) lovely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't go to hell for that, can I, (laughs) Father?
2: No, not as long as you confess. (laughs) Oh, God, he's their priest. Then you have nothing to fucking worry about. (laughs) They're cool, sweary (laughs) priests.
0: Love the Catholics. You can get away with anything.
2: A lot of them did. (laughs) It's an honor to be marrying you two. Thank you.
0: I didn't realize you were allowed out without your little doggy thing.
2: Oh, sorry. Have I disappointed you? Of
0: course not. Devastated.
2: I know Fleabag. I've watched a little bit of Fleabag. Yeah, so you've seen the season one.
0: I've seen a few episodes. I but didn't I watch know the whole anything thing. Anything about Fleabag? So Fleabag is a BBC series. I think it was a co-production with Amazon. Uh, it's got Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who had been performing Fleabag as a like one-woman theatre show for a couple of years, ah. got to do it as a TV show, and people went crazy for the series. And fair enough, I think it's genuinely quite good. My problem with that series, and it's the same problem I have with all of her other shows so far. So she did a show for, I think it was the BBC, called Crashing, not connected to the HBO Crashing show that just wound up this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she made that show. And also, if you've seen Killing Eve, mm-hmm. she's the creator True. and yeah, oh, okay. sort of showrunner the first season of that. My problem with her writing is that I think she's great on an episode-by-episode basis, but structurally, I think as an entire season, she always gets a little bit flabby sort of towards like the mid to end points. That final third always ends up just being a little bit more of a chore than it should be. Starts out so strong, so much energy, and then by the end, it just doesn't quite land. I definitely felt that with Fleabag probably more than our other shows. Uh, there was a sequence in there where she goes off to a health spa with her sister and it's this entire episode and the relationship with the sister had been built up through the show but to focus an entire episode on that when the show had a much bigger issue that it was about to get to I kind of thought was just wasting my time a little bit and so I've always resented the show a little bit for just having because there was so much hype around the show about how amazing it was Sure, but it used to frustrate me and it's like well yeah it's great but like there's also just this really crappy run of like an episode and a half where it just doesn't really work Mm. okay and that really didn't work for me but having watched episodes one of season two which just started in the uk in the last week or two watching that episode with them in the health spa actually makes sense for the second season it was never intended to be a two series run so essentially her crime still exists because you know (laughs) but she is building off that core relationship and i think the second season is going to be so much more about these two sisters sort of forming a Bond, but despite the fact, that I've got a lot of sort of baggage to have to work through. Who's the major talent? Who's in, who's on screen? So, it's her. So okay. it's Phoebe Waller Bridge playing, you know, the character. Okay. Yeah. So, like, this has been a big breakout for her because she's so visible on screen as well as writing and directing. Sure. And, you know, she's, you know, a triple heck of talent.
2: I'm just, I've just Googled it uh, to re- refresh my memory. And Olivia Coleman is also in the show, the amazing Olivia Coleman, who's becoming, who's like really proper famous now, not just. <laughs> Star of my favourite television show of all time. So having Peep stole show. The Oscar away from yeah. Glenn Close, yeah. yeah. Your favourite show being Peep Show? Peep Show, of course. I love Yeah, yes. Peep show, yeah. Um, yeah so it, uh, I don't remember her character in the show. In Peep Show? No, she's no. Very good in, in
0: Fleabag. Uh, so she was, because I didn't remember either. So I was watching the first episode this morning and I'm like, oh, wait a sec, Olivia Colman is in this. It's also got Brett Goldman in it. who you'd remember is like a bearded fellow that you've seen in like almost every comedy from like the last sort of five years or so. And he's also in the last episode of Mad Men, which I noticed the other day. Ah, that's yeah. interesting. But Olivia Coleman plays the uh, the girlfriend of their father. I don't know if they actually got married. I don't quite remember. Uh, but anyway, she's been a presence in our lives for quite a number of years. Neither of the girls really care for her. She's also a sex star yes, person Yes, she's yes, yes, I do remember now. this now. Yeah. yeah, excellent stuff.
2: She's Great turning character. up
1: everywhere at the moment. I watched Delivery Coleman in the recent UK edition of Who Do You Think You Are? which was extraordinary. Which She was so likable on screen. And she's so She's fantastic. Em-
0: pathetic it's just lovely to watch the thing is she's been appearing in everything for like the last five yeah you just years. you'll just notice now so, yeah, yeah you'll
2: yeah. see everything that she's been in pop back up yeah. but she's amazing I'm, she'll always be yeah. sophie to me yeah not the
0: same <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so anyway fleabag there's probably not much to, i think people know what the show is if you haven't checked it out it's well worth your time uh, definitely, don't read up anything about it because there's stuff about the first season you probably don't really want to, you know, learn too much about before you get into it. Sure. Second season, it's a very strong start, and I did find myself like deep into the world and wanting to stick with it.
2: That's enough of a recommendation for me to go, yeah, check out the ones that I didn't watch because I think I probably saw two or three and then sort of just yeah. drifted away from it. But go back and give it a look yeah. and watch it
0: from the beginning because it's definitely a show which works very well in a TV novel sort of a form where you really need to you know remember the episodes well yeah get sure where do we see it uh so fleabag gosh that's a good question for australia for season one i think you probably have to buy that one okay like around the place i don't think it's streaming anywhere specifically pretty sure the abc screened the first season yeah i saw it on abc for yeah. sure yeah right. so it'll crop up on iview every so often uh, but yeah season two hasn't debuted yet in australia but you can find it on the bbc in the uk so just a short plane ride and you'll be able to watch it all exactly This probably winds down Always Be Watching for this week. Now, a couple of bits of admin to get through. If you've liked the podcast, leave reviews. Helps other people find the show. Check us out on our website, alwaysbewatching.com. There you can find links to the podcast and you can listen to previous episodes because it's just recommendations. There's no time constraints here. That's right. It's it's it's
2: It's all out there forever now.
0: Yeah, but there's a daily newsletter to subscribe to. There's a podcast to subscribe to. You've got all of that. But maybe you're not interested in TV shows. Maybe you're interested in movies. There's a movie review site you could probably check out run by one Simon Foster.
1: Well, thank you, Don. I um... <laughs> You're a monster. <laughs> it's called Screen Space. I've been doing it for quite a few years now in between my other review work across other media outlets. I uh, go to screen-space. Make sure you put a hyphen in there. If you just put Screen Space in there, you get a Melbourne uh, blind company. Yeah. Um, a Venetian, a Venetian blind company, which uh, we're sharing sort of co-branding stuff. But Luckily, I'm after blinds as well as as <laughs> exactly. as well as recommendations of new movies. It's How fortuitous. It's You can find us on Facebook and all the social media places. Thank you for having me. This has been a ball. You guys are smart. Thank that's you. that has been
0: fantastic having you in. Uh, for our first guest. And I guess last guest at this point. It not quite work
2: out. <laughs> uh, I'm just like, yeah, definitely not enough time for it me. It was Holloman, wasn't it? That's I, what did it. Yeah. I
0: should have brought in his wife. <laughs> I'm, I'm, all of,
2: I'm all for bringing guests in as long as they don't take my space on the mic, you know. So, we'll have to work on that.
0: <laughs> what I love about Simon and his wife, Fiona, is that they're both movie critics. It's amazing. Like mm. in one household. So, the conversations must be... Intense. Yeah. yeah. Robust. don't
1: often agree. Yeah, robust is a good word.
0: Because yeah. yes. her taste is really quite different to yours.
1: Well... We didn't get into this, and maybe we should have. Um, (laughs) She gave Bohemian Rhapsody a two-star rating. You liked it, And I gave it a five-star rating. Oh, my goodness. It was quite a week that week was.
0: I I wish I'd known about that before (laughs) he came in. Uh, This has been Always Be Watching. Uh, Chris and I will be back next week.